you know and everybody mm-hmm. from top to bottom is scrubbing the kitchen down and organizing and learning and there's always ego involved and everybody's got a great idea but can it be implemented immediately no and it's like how do you tell somebody this isn't probably the best thing you tasted you have to enhance it without offending it's such a, a nuanced thing to be in a kitchen Hi there. Have you downloaded my wine tips cheat sheet yet? It is full of concepts about wine, literally from my brain to the paper to help make it simple and easy for you to make sense of wine. You can grab it on my website, sipwithnikki.com forward slash resource, and I'll send it right to your inbox. So this week, I am talking to another Central New Jersey native, Chef Melissa Walnock. We also grew up in the same hometown, not unlike the first episode here of Sip with Nikki with Dan Richer. If you haven't listened to that, circle back to that because Chef Dan and Chef Melissa were actually neighbors. I wonder if it was something in the water there. And uh, Melissa, who I knew as Missy growing up, was also my younger sister Amanda's age. And I have followed her journey uh, through adulthood. I knew that she had gone to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, uh, which is the sister campus of the Culinary Institute here in St. Helena, California, where I did my wine certification. And along the way in becoming a pastry chef, Melissa has worked at some really amazing spots with some really amazing chefs. She talks in our episode about her first real culinary job um, at the Breakers, which is in uh, Palm Beach. She has worked in both Jean-Georges locations in New York City and Las Vegas. She did a stint in a, a little place you may have heard of called the French Laundry with Thomas Keller here in Yountville, California. And then more recently, closer to home for her, uh, Tabla in New York City, and then Nicholas, which is in Red Bank, New Jersey. So she has definitely trained with and worked with some of the finest. And now Melissa is an instructor and recently promoted to an associate dean of the pastry school at the Culinary Institute. So we get into all things pastry today. We talk about um, what it's like to be a woman in the culinary world and how that's been for her. We also talk about the fact that she, since 10 years old, has been a type 1 diabetic. So you would think that uh, working surrounded by sugar and carbohydrates might not be the uh, career of choice. However, it's, um, it's a very interesting story of how it all came to be. And uh, finally, we get her take on the bear. You know, the bear is hot in the news right now on Hulu, just swept all of the Emmy Awards. And I was curious as someone who has worked in many high profile kitchens, what she thinks. So Melissa will weigh in on the bear. So I hope you have fun listening to Chef Melissa Walnock. Here we go. Oh my goodness. Chef Melissa Walnock, aka Missy from childhood. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. First time podcaster, so this is what? fun. Well, podcast. Your first time podcast. It's fun. Yes. It's easy. We're just we're just, you know, catching up. Don't mm-hmm. be scared. <laughs> it is a Saturday in January. What's going on in your life, in your house, in your world today? Uh, everything's brand new, really. Uh, my Everything kind of flipped over in the last four months in my life. Uh, new house, uh, new neighborhood, new school district, new roommates, aka my parents, um, and new job title. So you got a full house. It's you and Anthony, mm-hmm. and then you have mom and dad, mm-hmm. and then you have two kiddos yes. who are Taylor ages. is 15, and Henley is going to be eight tomorrow. 15 and eight. Mm-hmm. You have a birthday a birthday celebration going on this weekend? Oh, we're doing Hello Kitty Gymnastics. It's just going to be amazing. 
It's a lot of pink decorations, a lot of balloons, a lot of Hello Kitties everywhere. I made a massive cake with all okay. the characters on it. And uh, there's going to be some trampolining and then eating and then probably throwing up at some point or another. These kids are going to be a mess, <laughs> but it's fine. A mess and tired, hopefully. Now, did you make this cake? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. As per her request, um, she has both of my kids, I will say, have very good palates. And um, like she wanted macarons on this thing. So it's probably about 10 inches tall, half chocolate, half vanilla. So everyone's happy. Uh, very specific colors. Amen. Every single Hello Kitty character, not just Hello Kitty. And then instead of like, I was going to put balloons like popping out of the cake, but they're macarons in the shape of balloons on sticks. So they're all, she needs her macarons. She loves her French macarons. <laughs> so hey, bougie bitch. Can we it say that? Like- uh, yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. say bougie there bitch. You you she, is, she is, she is, she is. Um, well, it sounds like she's been raised, exposed to some, um, I don't know, beautiful confections and pastry. Um, wherever could that have come from? No idea. I have great friends. <laughs> so in the intro for this, I have shared with our listeners your your lineup and your credentials and where you worked in Tabla and John George and French Laundry and, and all of that. So they, they know a little bit about that. But what I'd like to do is back up to like, let's go back to Madawan, where mm-hmm. we are both born and raised in Monmouth <laughs> County, New Jersey. Um, this is so funny because people are going to be like, does she only interview people from her hometown? Because as you know, Dan Richard, mm-hmm. Chef Dan was on and I think he was your neighbor, right? Like literally right around the corner. Yep. So you grow up same place as me. You're a couple years younger. You're in Amanda's class and Tell me when the culinary slash pastry bug kind of first bit and we'll go from there. Um, It was, I wish I had, I say this all the time when people ask me like how I got started in this and I wish I had a better story. Like, oh, I grew up baking with my grandmother and and I did used to cook. My dad's mom was awesome. We used to make pierogies by the hundreds. Like we did some things here and there. There's no like necessarily aha moment for this, but I had two older brothers and going through high school, I'm the only girl, but I was still like, oh, you're Matt's sister, you're Mark's sister. And sometimes they would just call me that by accident. I'm like, okay. So my oldest brother, computer geek, my other brother, amazing artist does his thing. So I just wanted to do something that wasn't that. So I had my own path and um, I don't sit still very well. I wanted to be able to travel and do whatever I wanted to do. Um, I like the odd hours of things. I like being creative, but I'm not like an artist, you know, painting, drawing, that wasn't my thing, but I like being creative. Um, Food has always been my in my life, I, I type one diabetic when I was 10. So like food was always in my face of how much, what are you eating? What combination of things? So food was always big for me. And I was like, hey, let's mm. give this a try. And I got a job uh, at, I hope you remember this place in the Atlantic Highlands, The Clam Hut. It's a restaurant. Stop it. Yeah. Mr. Masolo yes. from Madawan High School. Yes. The Clam Hut. My best friend. Shout Jen, out to Masolo. Yeah. My best friend, Jen Black, growing up. That's her uncle. And I couldn't get a job anywhere because everybody's like, you don't have experience. And I'm like, how do I get experience if I can't get a job? And he happened to get me a job in the kitchen. The there. whole chicken or the yes, egg thing. Yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I worked, um, I think when I was 16, I started working summers there. And that was my first intro to kitchens. And I just loved it. I love the energy. I love being in the chaos. And you got to organize it and bring it all together and push through. I loved it. And no matter who you're with, you all have to work we- as a team, you know? We love that restaurant. Yeah. So it was like a big family outing, like, let's go to the clam mm-hmm. hut. So when you started there, were you in the kitchen or were you on the floor, front of house, back of the house? Kitchen. How did that work? Kitchen. I've never voluntarily okay. done anything. And that's anything. what you wanted. Yes. I've never done anything voluntarily in the front of the house ever. <laughs> because you're so shy and don't like people? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's no. no like filter is my problem. That and like... <laughs> <laughs> I, kudos to anyone who can walk up to a table, take an order and get it right. I could never, I, everything would be a mess, but yeah. So I, I definitely stayed in the kitchen. But yet a recipe that has 97 ingredients that must be at the perfect time and temperature. Not a problem. You can execute yes. all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Different, different part of the brain, I guess. All right. So you're working at the clam hut in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. How long are you there for? And then what happens next? I did a, uh, two summers there. And in once I realized like, wow, this is really fun. I started looking for culinary schools. I was like, okay, let's figure this out. And and I'm not just saying this because it's full circle and I work there now, but the culinary has been well-known, world-renowned top dog for a very long time. So I just wanted to go there. And um, 
my initial plan was just to go get my associates and, and start working. But I, I kind of made a deal with my parents that if I was going to do this, because at the time, this was really before Food Network and like a career and where being a chef was like, oh, my God, so cool, mysterious, whatever. And everybody's give a me a give me a year range. We're talking so like I graduated. Late 90s yeah, I graduated high school in 98. So it was that my senior year that I really kind of zeroed in on this. And my parents okay. are like, can you make a living doing this? It just sounds really hard for a woman and da, da, da. And I'm like, sure, 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 sure. So we were back and forth about it. And I said, if I stay to get my bachelor's, can we just see what happens with this? So I ended up doing what's technically a four-year degree. But the culinary, if anybody's aware of the schedule, it just never stops. We go year-round for the most part. We get a couple weeks off in August and that's it. There's no stopping. So I was able to get a bachelor's degree in uh, about a three and a half years, just over three and a half years. And um that was that. But I went, I visited the campus and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And it's just everyone's walking around in chef whites and toques and doing their thing. And I love the fact you went and you did what you wanted to do. Like everything you chose, either culinary or pastry. And that's what you did every day, every class, even your math class, your product ID, any sciences that we took it all surrounded food. And it was pretty cool. Even, you know, you have to get a bachelor's degree. There's, you know, you take a foreign language, you have to do certain things, but even our world history was very central, sorry, um, was very centrally focused on on food culture and things like that. So it was, it was, it held your interest. Short of accounting classes, mm -hmm. I just, I loved everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very educational. They send you out on an externship during your associates program. So that's like your first year and a half you're there um, is your associates. And they send you out for about 18 weeks to just make sure that this is what you want to do. And sometimes kids just stay out there and work and sometimes they come back. Yeah. And I just chose to go down to the breakers. I've never worked at a hotel before. So I wanted to see what that was like. And my externship was over the summer. So I was like, all right, let's do a beach and beautiful, beautiful place to be. And um, that's in Palm Beach. Yes. Yeah. Like breakers, mm -hmm. right? Like Palm, like the island, Palm Beach Island. So it was like, I'm the only one driving a Volkswagen Jetta around Palm Beach. And I remember like distinctly getting out of my car and like locking the door. I'm like, who cares? Like no one's going to take my car. You know, it just doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I live there. I used to. What were they all driving there everything in 1999? Uh, everything Palm I Beach. still could not afford. Mercedes, BMW, anything, anything but what I had. And, like, you know, so I used to just walk to work. It was a dream. I, I walked two blocks to the beach on my days off and I, I walked to work every other day and I got to see a lot of things we did. Um, I don't know if anybody knows the breakers, aware of the breakers, but it's massive. It has a lot of history to it. We used to do banquets, a lot of political banquets, things like that for 5,000 people, 6,000 people at a time. And there's three or four of those going on within 24 hours. It was, it was a high production facility. Would I want to work in that again? No, but it was a great, great experience. And it really got my mind organized for this business because if you missed one thing, mm -hmm. it's like a domino effect. You know, if you forget to do, mm -hmm. you know, make these few cakes, it's like you're set back hours and forget it. Like everything's knocked off course for the, for the weekend. So you just, it was, it was an intense job, especially for somebody like, I didn't know how to really do anything. I went to culinary school with other than working the line at the clam hut. Like I never, I baked at home. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I went to school because I, I really wanted some background in this and not just, kind of go out in industry and really get my ass kicked. So, you know, I, I went into that not knowing anything. And um, I, I learned a lot while I was there. What made you pick so early on? You said you either go culinary or you go pastry, right? What made you choose what you did, pastry? I think it's my personality piece. Like I, I've definitely calmed down with my OCD since having kids. It's just impossible, you know, to like, I, I'd be up 24 hours a day just trying to clean everything. But um I, I have an OCD brain, but I also like to be very creative. And this just brought those two things together. And, you know, everything's scaled, especially in pastry. Everything's down to the gram when you're making a recipe and things like that. And um, at the same time, putting something on a plate or experimenting with flavors, you have such freedom with colors, flavors, textures, all of that stuff, which I love. And I also think it's really pretty cool that like, and I always joke around because like chefs are like, oh, pastry, pastry, no big deal. There's chickens out there. There's cows out there. Like your stuff's already there. Like when we make a bread or a cake, that was not in existence an hour ago. And I just find that so fascinating that we created something oh. brand new by just putting the right things together. You know what I mean? From the absence of anything, yeah, from nothing. You can't grow a cake. Oh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> I love that concept. Yeah. I've never really thought about it in that way, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's chickens out there. There's cows out there. 
<laughs> what are you, salt and pepper? I'm throwing them in a pan. Like, get there. out of here. Yeah, you got everything you need already. <laughs> you just season oh my it. Gosh. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to actually two different things that you said mm-hmm. um, just now. And the first one was you said type 1 diabetic since 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So obviously <laughs> there is there is a lot that goes along with that in life in general, but then put on top of it that what you've chosen to do in your life, it's kind of focuses around sugar. Um, so talk to me a little bit about mm-hmm. that and how much of an obstacle or not has that been? It's interesting because I don't, I don't know where to start with this. Um, as far as being 10 years old and having this kind of dropped in your lap, right? So I ended up, if anybody, just a little background on type 1 diabetes, you're born with it. It's different than type 2. It's different scenarios. So it was already in my system at birth. And it's usually something either super stressful or another illness that are kind of just flick that switch and like your symptoms start mm. setting in. So when I was 10, um, I want to say it was one of it was my grandfather, I think, who had passed away. And then at the same time, I got this awful bout of strep throat. And strep throat, for anyone with an autoimmune, knows a lot of times it starts with that for some reason. Um, so I just got very sick very quickly. I lost about 15 pounds within two weeks. I was exhausted. I wasn't eating, like just a mess. And my mom uh, has worked in the medical field. She's been a nurse for decades. She's a nurse. Yeah, yeah I remember yep. that. And I think part of her didn't want to see it because she didn't want to think this is what was happening. And I, it was like a dentist appointment or something. And my mom was with me. And there's this, um, when you're in ketoacidosis, meaning that your blood sugar is super high, you get kind of this um, weird fruity breath. And my mom just like leaned over to say something to me. I replied and I, I just remember her face and she just kind of looked at me. And I was in the ER that night and my blood sugar was, I don't know, a little over 600, I think. And normal... I think at this point, normal is 80 to 100. That's it. They're really kind of tightening the parameters on it. So yeah, I kind of found out I was diabetic. And um, it was very funny because I just wanted to get out of the hospital. So I was like, what do I need to do? And they're like, you need to give yourself shots. And I was like, show me. And boom, we were out. Like, They got my blood sugar under control. I got kind of a quick training with nutritionist. And I had an endocrinologist, a juvenile endocrinologist at that point. And I was able to go home. But everything in my house changed. There were because it was very different also the way you kept your diet decades ago versus how you work it now, which is really carb counting is the main focus of how to handle type one diabetes. Um, but yeah, everything changed. We had scales everywhere. It was like skim milk and low fat this and da da da, which again, completely different mentality now. But my yeah. my days and were just very focused around food. And I know just looking back at it now and being a parent now how stressful it was for my parents, regardless of my mom's medical background, it's still scary. You don't know, mm-hmm. you know, what how, what's the school day going to bring? Are you going to get low and not feel it? And sometimes that happens. And, you know, so food was in my face for a very long time. And um, to say that hasn't mentally impacted me would be a lie. Like I definitely have some things surrounding food, which is very typical also with diabetics. How could it not be? It's like you have to think about everything all the time, every day. And no matter. Oh my God, I think about food all the time, every day. Me What's too. my excuse? Frankly, <laughs> I don't have type 1 diabetes. And food is in my eating, face by choice. <laughs> exactly. As I'm eating breakfast, I'm like, hmm, what's for lunch? You know, it's like, or it's that mentality, you know? Like, what am I in the mood for? Yeah. It's just like, I have to figure out, okay, what do I do in between that? And I, I kid you not, like, if I'm going to go out for a tasting menu, which we do, I love, I love it. Give me 12 courses, give me wine, give me whatever. Like, I have to think about that all day. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to eat you know, a a more carb loaded breakfast. I want to save this all. And I want to make sure that I I go for like a big walk before I go out to dinner, just so my my body's moving, my metabolism's moving, and it'll kind of help keep Mm -hmm. my blood sugar low. It's like that kind of thought that goes into it, which also at the same time Mm -hmm. is the thought that has to go into my daily life in a kitchen in all honesty. So it like, there's connections there. But um, yeah, so I don't, I find it interesting that I chose pastry. Just, I don't, I think it seems natural to do something in food, you know, just because it's like, it's such a part of your life. It's like, okay, let's really get my hands in this and, and and do more with it. But I can't say that I make things with replacement sugars. That's never been my, never been my thing. I don't find them overly healthy. Um, not that they're, it, you know, they're sugar alcohols. They're not going to kill you unless you like <laughs> that's of it, you know, but it really causes digestive issues. Anybody who's had sorbitol, sugar-free, whatever, those things will mess with your digestion and stuff like that. I try to avoid it. And it's more about just balance of what 
you're you're eating. So like I'll have guests come into a restaurant and say, oh, I'm a diabetic. I'll just have sorbet. And I'm like, no, no. It's like sugar on sugar. You know, <laughs> fruit has sugar. Then you're adding sugar. So, you know, so it's more honestly you'd be better with a small scoop of ice cream or a piece of cheesecake where you have that fat that kind of slows that sugar down that, to get into your system. And, but um, we have this uh, event every year on campus and it's called Menus of Change. And it's really um where do we go to make things more healthful for people and how do we just kind of work it into an everyday system in restaurants and bakeries and cafes that it's not so like oh this is sugar-free and this is what everybody else is going to eat or you know this is gluten free this is what everybody else is going to eat and i had a great opportunity to speak at the conference this year and do a demo and it was it was really cool for me as a diabetic too to realize that you don't necessarily need all these replacement sugars and if you kind of like I made a, a chocolate mousse cake and the, the chocolate cake had uh, used black beans in it. And that's a great source of protein. Yes, carbs, but protein. And I use a monk fruit sugar that has zero calories and it's not a sugar alcohol. And it, it can sweeten very little added, can sweeten something just enough that every, you couldn't tell. I made um, for the guests, I made an original recipe of everything. And then I made a high protein, lower sugar version of it. And Side by side, you couldn't tell that there was even really a difference. Really? And it was just all ingredient choice. And I think that's something great that somebody in my position can offer. Not that anybody couldn't do it, but there's like a little bit of a a different kind of passion behind it just because it's like, oh, I I can do this and, you know, help others help me and, you know, vice versa. And to just be able to streamline it into, you know, your everyday and just put it on a menu without having to mark it as something that is low sugar and nobody's going to know, just let it be. And it is healthier, you know, and we, we can kind of change course now and get some of these, you know, sugar, it, your brain process it like a drug, you know? So it's like, if we can pull back on that and, and just naturally make things healthier without sparing taste or flavor or any of that, that'd be great. So here's what I just take, took away from what you just shared knowing you since childhood and knowing you through family and my sister and kind of hearing what you were doing, I feel like it was always like, oh my God, have you heard about Missy? She's going to culinary school. And, you know, remember she's diabetic. And can you believe like she's a pastry chef (laughs) and she's diabetic. And it was like, they were, it was spoken about, like it was kind of this like uh, irony. And now when I hear it, I'm like, no, it actually makes total sense. I don't necessarily want to say it's why, Mm -hmm. but I feel like because it was such a big focus and part of your life and Mm -hmm. something that you had to think about all the time, it actually makes a ton of sense why that is the direction. Right. Yep. I just, there's, um, I mean, anybody who does this for a living, you have to have a passion for what you do. It's low pay, it's hard work. It's no one's patting you on the back and saying, great job, you know, unless you're, you're a Thomas Keller, you know what I mean? So there's none of that. You have to have a passion for what you do, but on top of it, there's that opportunity to, you know, use my, my personal life and what I've gone through and whatever, and share that with other people and let other people out there who may not be in the profession or as aware of food that's out there that you can use or make that is just normal. Now, I mean, now you're teaching not only are you from lecturing professor to associate professor to associate dean in your mm-hmm. recent promotion. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. <gasps> So now you are teaching others and you were kind of talking about that, right? Like the passion to like share with others and teach others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could have continued in, in kitchens. You worked in a lot of really fantastic places with really famous chefs. You mentioned TK, mm-hmm. Thomas Keller yeah. a moment ago, and, you know, John George and Danny, is Danny Myers? Yeah, Danny it was Myers? Uh, Union Square <laughs> Cafe and Tabla were both Danny Myers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just as a foodie nerd like me, like someone who watches Chef's Table and Masterclass and lives, you know, on the other side of the mountain from Yauntville, like when, you know, some of these names, mm-hmm. I'm just like, ah, it's so cool. So why choose then to take the um, the uh, education uh, option and start teaching? Um, it was a little bit of like my personal dribbled over into my professional. And I think at some point or another, I was like, I am going to teach because, again, anybody who's done kitchen work at you know at any level really it's it takes a toll on you your your sleep patterns your your physical body like it, it's a lot so i said eventually i will get back and back to the cia and i'll teach it, it just seems a logical thing a, a great place to retire and at that point in time i was living in the city and working at tabla um i switched over to work at restaurant nicholas and any any 
Monmouth County, New Jersey person knows Nicholas. It's it, that place yes. was amazing. And I was very fortunate. It was like 15 minutes from where I was living at the time. But again, same hours and you're working. And I think Taylor turned uh, three and he kind of looked at me and was like, I miss you. You know, and I'm like, no, you're right. Like, I'm not home for anything as much as I love what I do. I, I just, you know, I, I have a family now. And at that point, I met my now husband at Nicholas, which was pretty awesome. So a lot of a lot of things were happening. And you met Anthony at Nicholas. Yes, we were perfect <laughs> for each other because he loves desserts and I love drinks. So he was the bar manager there. And we just we ended up all it was just everybody just kind of hanging out. And, you know, we were friends first for quite some time. And then, you know, something just clicked and I'm like, hey, you know, so all of this was going on and then Taylor was young and like I was barely seeing him. So I said, all right, let me let me put my application at the culinary. They were searching. So I got the phone call. I um, did an interview. They had me back up for the practical, which was probably the most nerve wracking thing I've ever done in my life. And I ended up getting the job there. What was awesome is that they hired me to be a pastry chef in the restaurants and to teach students how to do pastry in a restaurant environment. I wrote the curriculum for the class. We started it up. So I got my, you know, five day a week schedule. I have time off for Christmas. I have time off for the holidays. I'm off in the summer, but I'm still in a restaurant. I'm wow. still able to be creative and I'm teaching our next generation. It's like, what, what's the loss there, you know? So, oh, and health insurance and stuff like that. So that's great. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause that's important. Yeah. yeah all those little yeah. bonuses. So yeah. Can you tell me about the practical as part Ooh. of that interview? Do you remember what you had do to I do? Do I remember? I will never forget. I will never forget. I, you know, like this whole job is pressure. Like you, you can plan as much as you want to, but you don't know what you're walking into. And it could be in the middle of service. I love being weeded. I love the chaos, whatever. Going in for this practical, my hands were like literally shaking. So the way it's set up, and it's funny because I'm now on the search committee um, to hire new faculty for pastry. So we kind of revise this and go through it and make sure the practical keeps making sense and whatever, whatever. So um, you get basically two and a half days to get this done. You come up to campus. So I had two laminated items. Um, so I ended up doing a laminated brioche and croissant. We had uh, two entremets. And if anybody's aware of an entremet, it's like a, um, like a French inspired, very delicate cake, but it's like a mousse cake. So they're all the layers are very thin and there's usually four to five different pieces to it. It gets that that beautiful shiny glaze that was such a thing on Instagram for okay. so long. That's an entremet. It's not like a layered cake with frosting on it. It's there's okay. just to build an entremet, there's probably six to seven different recipes that you need plus garnish. So that one thing alone is big. So we have 24 croissant, 24 laminated brioche, two entremets, 12 petit gâteaux. Laminated. Tell me laminated. So, Break that down for me. That's like uh, puff pastry, things like that, where you have your dough mm -hmm. and you just keep, you lock in your butter, you roll it out, do your folds, roll it out, do your folds while, you know, taking breaks in between. So you're not overworking that gluten. There's a lot of science to that too. So laminate, laminating dough is it's that delicious, buttery, flaky, fatty goodness. And you can make a variety of things out of it. Mm -hmm. That's a new term for me. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I just learned yeah. that. Thank you. Lamination. It's I knew you were not putting in a, a plastic machine between pages. Like that much I knew. But uh, that's much yes. better. Yeah, lamination. Layers and layers of gel and buttery yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> that's a okay. better way to describe. It. Yeah, I think uh, depending on how you do your folds, you'll end up with like a thousand different layers. So it's that's where like the term milfoy comes through and things like that. But that's you know, food food. So uh mill being a thousand. thousand. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um yeah. So croissants, laminated brioche, two entremets, 12 petit gâteaux, which are individual portions based off of your entremet, um, two petit four. So I did um, 24 bonbons, so molded chocolates. Do you know this ahead of time going in? They give you the categories, not what to do with it. They're just okay. like, you have to make okay. this many things. So you get a day and a half to prep all them out, um, like okay. a seven to five, you know, come in the next day and then seven to one o'clock, one o'clock you present and then you get the afternoon to like, I don't know, go cry in a corner or whatever I ended up doing. And then, are they watching your work or you're just presenting the finished product? Uh, people are them? in and out all day long because it's uh, what's your okay. organizational process? Do you work clean? What's your waste? Like yeah. you have to keep an eye on all of that. And then the third day you teach a class basically. So you're in front of students and you do a 30 minute uh, lecture and demo. <laughs> and it was... Did you love that part? I feel like that's just you. That was the scariest part know. for me. I feel like that 
Really? Okay. You know what's weird is that like I can act a fool in a room any day of the week. I don't care. But when everyone's silent and staring at me, like walking down the aisle for my wedding, terrifying. I'm like, why is everyone just like (gasps) that focus? I don't like it. I don't like it. But it's not like I'm worried about embarrassing myself in in real life. I don't really care about much of anything. But that, it's hard. Plus, it's interesting Mm -hmm. being pulled right out of industry and then teaching you know you don't think about all of the little nuances of like okay now i'm gonna add my baking soda and a hand goes up what's baking soda and i'm like son of a <laughs> like i haven't had to break this down scientifically in god knows how long it's just like this is what we're doing you know so there's a difference there it's all in depth and as a teacher you don't know really what these kids are coming in with you know by the time they get to the end of the program you have an idea of like because i i've taught on both ends i've taught the first class and i've taught the last class of of the associates program so you know, by the time they get to the end, you have an idea, but the in-between, it's like, okay, have you tempered chocolate? Do you know what tempering chocolate even means? Do you know what baking mm-hmm. powder is? And, you know, and it's, there's so much to really break down scientifically for everyone. So that that's the part I had to think about as I was doing it and just being able to work and keep eye contact and engaging a crowd. It's it's an art all unto itself. So. Oh, absolutely. It's a totally different skill set mm-hmm. that you're laying on, layering on top of what you're actually doing, yes. that you're laminating <laughs> on top of what you're actually exactly. doing. <laughs> Full circle. Can I not use those words interchangeably? You can, you can. That right? <laughs> you also have your own small business where you can create and do hands-on, right? Yes. Chrome Confections. Okay. And that, um, that I started during COVID. Uh, we got furloughed at school. There was, you know, there's nothing you can do. So, um, it was scary. And I was like, you know, kids are home with me. I'm like, what am I going to do? So I wanted to keep all of us busy and learning. I mean, my daughter at that point was about five. So she was, you know, I didn't want her. It, it was nice to kind of have an agenda at home and have a bit of a schedule rather than just whatever you want for five months. It, it could really get out of hand. So I started that online, which uh, was great. So every week I would do like three different items, take orders, I would deliver and, and do all that stuff since back to work and really amping up and kind of back to where we were at school uh, pre-COVID, like our enrollment is back to what it was and it, it we're in really great shape. I've tapered off doing the the week to week, but I do special order cakes and th- I mean, I can kind of make whatever. So chocolate, sugar cookies are- Like a Hello Kitty cake with every possible Hello Kitty character on it. it. Not got it Hello covered, Kitty. yes. And macarons <laughs> with on macarons top. Also. Not macaroons. We know mm-hmm. they're two different they things. Are. Not a macaroon, it's not a <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that much I do know. <laughs> so you have a website, mm-hmm. crumbconfections.com, yes. where people can order in the like local New York, New Jersey, like bake for. Kind of my biggest range is like from here down to the city, which is about uh, 90 miles. So about an hour and a half. But I do about an hour and a half radius of me in, in LaGrangeville. So, you know, and that, like I said, could be anything people, sugar cookies for you know, baby showers, whatever. So I, I do all of that. And um, the, I used to live over in Gardner up until about four or five months ago. And um, there was, is this beautiful B&B right around the corner from where I used to live. And through a third party connection, I started um, doing classes there. So I do now we're up to anywhere between one to four classes a month at the um, Watergrass Hill B&B. So you can look that up too if anybody's in the area. And I want to come and be in your class. Can I come and be in your class? You can absolutely come and be in the class. It's really, okay, really okay. fun. I love it. And the the kitchen that the owner put onto this space is every time I walk into it, I'm like, oh, it's like a postcard. It's just stunning. And you're totally in the country. And it's just so it's beautiful. So people, yeah, we do um Every year we, you know, we do a pies and tarts for Thanksgiving, usually chocolates around Valentine's Day. And we are they just like a single standalone class where you can go to one or mm-hmm. is it a series of multiple weeks? Just one. And it in about okay. two and a half hours, we do everything. So I'll demo everything. Um, some of it's hands on, but you know, two and a half hours, you usually make three different things. I try to do that so everybody can see a wide range of a technique I'm trying to teach and you go home with everything. So if people want to look at the schedule and sign up to bake with you, mm-hmm. um, where do they find that class info? On Watergrass Hill B&B, I believe it is, .com. You can Google Watergrass Hill and it'll pull up the website and then um, go on the website and look under workshops. How fun. I'm going to put the link in the show notes for those of you listening so you can find this as well as crumbconfections.com. And if you want to see some gorgeous pastry porn, yes, I said it. Um, you guys need to follow <laughs> Melissa at Chef Walnock. 
at Chef Walnock, W-A-L-N-O-C-K on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. We need some wine. Do you think it's time for some wine? Yeah. Sip spotlight. Okay. Um, so we're going <laughs> to do awake. our sip it's- spotlight. <laughs> Perfect. When when you and I were uh, prepping to do this recording today and I, you know, I told you, oh, we, we pick a wine and I'll send it to you and we're going to sip the same wine. Do you have any preferences? Do you remember what you said? Uh, I think I preferred white, uh, crisp, not sweet, and a little acidic fruity. That's exactly what you said. And so first of all, that told me a couple things. That gave me direction on what to pick, but that also gave me direction that this girl knows wine, just like the language, right? The the language that we use when we talk about wine. I do love to enjoy wine. And the funny thing about alcohol, and it's more like, you know, vodka and and liquor more than uh, wine, but it does end up, and uh, forgive me because I don't know the full science behind this. I've read it and it's in and out of my brain, but alcohol actually lowers your blood sugar. So you do have to be careful when you're drinking, but not for the reason that you would normally think so because it lowers it yes. because of the alcohol yes. right because a wine like this that we are going to taste today there's no sugar in this glass mm-hmm. there's alcohol mm-hmm. there's calories from mm-hmm. alcohol right but there is no glucose fructose that has all been converted into this beautiful alcohol yes. that is in this bottle through the magic of fermentation <laughs> which is now my world by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we have CIA Culinary Institute in common. Do you know that I did the wine program at the Culinary Institute here in St. Helena? I did. Your, uh, Amanda told me that. She told me you were going. I think that's yes. awesome. That campus yes. is stunning, so, too. So, Well, we call it Hogwarts. It looks like a big castle. <laughs> Hogwarts. So. Yep. Um, so you said a crisp, nice acidity white. So I started to think about what do we do? And I don't even know why my brain went to Greece Maybe because Michael and I had just watched Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, mm-hmm. like on streaming a couple of weeks ago. One of my favorite movies, the original one. Yeah. 3 was okay, but the original one is my favorite. And we're also planning, this is so selfish, but we're also planning a um, a cruise in June for my dad, Big Dom's 80th oh, birthday. Oh my God. And I love we're it. going to uh, out of Rome and we're going to Greece, which we've never been. That's amazing. Um, so we're going to Crete and we're going to Athens. We're going to Mykonos. So I kind of just like have had Greek Greek uh, culture on the brain. And so I said, oh, let's do a Sirtico. That is a lesser known white grape from Greece. And so um, you've got and I've got this beautiful 2022 um, I'm going to say, actually, you married a Greek. Anthony's Greek, right? Yes, he is. Yep. Half Greek, half Sicilian. He's, Greek. He's got a, a very big personality. Yeah. Uh, I, I love I just, I don't know. It's like one of those things that just was meant to be this today. He um, he lost his dad like a year ago or no, almost two actually at this point. And our goal at this point, they've been to Greece. His family's been to Greece, but I never have been. So we all want to do like just a return trip at some point because he literally from Greece oh. came over here when he was, I, I want to say between 16 and 18 years old and never went back. He, he loved America. <laughs> he stayed and, you know, it was very cool to just get to know him and in, in the background and, you know, food in general, it's so universal and it brings people together. And I, that was like, I made him a, um, and I, I had never really dabbled in, in Greek desserts, but I made him a galactoburico and it's like a, a citrus. I'm sorry. Yeah, can, that's can the nicest again, way please? I could say it. With him. Say it again, please. All the Greeks who may be listening to this are like, nope. But Galactoburico. Lean into the mic. Like, <laughs> nice and slow. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's like a, um, a polenta-ish kind of custard with uh, citrus in it and, and phyllo. And I just remember he was also a diabetic, hilarious. And there was honey, everything in it. But he had the whole thing sitting in his lap. And he and I were just sitting on the front porch of his house. And he ended up devouring the whole thing. And we were like... Talk about getting in with the in-laws. That was my, we were good after that. And we just always. You closed him. That's it. That's you closed it. him with yes. the Galapagana. That's it. Nailed it. Yep. <laughs> That's like the producer of this wine is Domaine Papagianicos. There you go. I think I said that okay. I did a little research. Papagianicos. Mm-hmm. Papagianicos. Oh, yeah. Look at that on the bottle. The grape is Sirtico. Let's get it in the glass if you haven't already, because I like to do the pouring noise. 
I didn't want you have yours in your glass. Mine's in my glass. I wanted to hush during that pour. It's lovely. You hush. I know it's hard for us to hush. Isn't it? Um, are you familiar with this grape? Have you had a Sirtaco before? I have not, and I have to be very honest with you. I know which wines I like and I don't like. I've never had. This is probably the second, maybe third Greek wine I've ever had. I don't go fully in depth with wine. Like I said, I love drinking wine. I know what I like, and I know. A little bit of what pairs with food totally my husband's thing he went he has his level one some um at this point and wants to continue at the, i know Yay. loves wine and i laugh all the time because with food i can taste like i'm like oh there's a little green cardamom on the back end of this and whatever it may be and he'll drink wine and he's like oh it's like toast and almonds and this that and the other i'm like yep it's white like <laughs> does, does he want to come in and taste with us <laughs> do you want him to because he do you want him yeah, to yeah. <laughs> get him in here? I didn't, here. I didn't know he was a son. Oh, yes. But yeah, he, well, he worked at the CIA too for a little while when we both moved up here and he was um, a bar manager at American Bounty and he was able to get his level one there because they run the programs through for the students and things like that. But he knows much more than I do. Like I said, I'm like, okay, that one's white, that one's red. I don't know why I can't taste what other people taste in wine. And it's so frustrating to me. Well, I can't taste green cardamom on the back of something. Yeah. So, you know, like anything, <laughs> I don't it's know. training and it's training your nose and your palate and then having the recall and the um, the reference points, you know, when someone says hints of lemon zest in a wine, that's going to be a little different than what true lemon zest on a cannoli yeah, is going to be like, right? That's true. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. It this looks lovely. It's nice it expresses and clear. Different. It's not like, I don't know. I'm trying to look at the legs aren't too thick, right? So it's not too much sugar. No. Am I right in that? Correct. All right. Or well, we know there's no sugar yes, in yes, here. Yes. So the, the kind of runny legs, mm-hmm. <laughs> which doesn't sound great, but the fact that these tear drops and legs are not crawling down the side of the glass tells us most importantly that it's a lower alcohol wine. It's a lighter body. It's going to feel less viscous in our mouth and it's a lower alcohol wine because it's 13%, which thinking about most of the wines that we drink, especially if you're like me and you drink a lot of California wines, we're talking 14, 15, 16% alcohol. Mm-hmm. So 13 is pretty conservative, um, which is p- part of what's going to give you those um, kind of quicker legs running down the side of the glass. Yeah, the color's really pale, um, like pale straw. And I know just from doing a little research on this wine for today, this is done all in stainless steel. So this has oh, never okay. been in oak, never been in a barrel. Um, and when you age white wine in a barrel, not only does it give oakiness, as most people knows, but it does affect the color. Um, mm-hmm. And this was never in oak. So this is truly out of stainless steel. I think uh, mentally it messes with me too when white wines have that deep yellow color. I'm like, oh, I'm just, just going to be too heavy for me and I'm not going to like it. But I this is- like it looks like cat pee. Yeah. In the glass. Like nothing. <laughs> too thick. Too thick. <laughs> Yeah, so this grape, Sirtico, is originally from the island of Santorini. These vines that this producer made the Sirtico from are 50-year-old vines. But here's the cool thing about when they grow on, in the Greek islands, because these are all volcanic islands and there's a lot of wind on these small islands, when you think of a vineyard, they developed centuries ago this process of how they train the vines really low to the ground instead of like a big tall T, like traditional vines that we see. Mm-hmm. They're low to the ground and they start to coil them. So the vine forms a basket, they call it, or a wreath, and it's round. And then the grapes and the fruit are actually on the inside of that. Oh, that's so cool. And it protects the fruit from the wind on the islands. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. my so Greek man cool. is entering. <laughs> the building. <laughs> Anthony, get in here, Anthony. You Greek? You Greek? I, I was sharing with her your, uh, your background and that you got your level one. And you're, you know way more about wine than I ever will. But <laughs> we thought we'd share some with you and your Greekness. But I would just like to hear what he says. I'm going to swap him he... out because you can explain what, what he's drinking. I'm going to swap out for a minute. Come here. Come sit. Okay, but you're not off the hook. You're coming I'm not, back. I'm totally coming back. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to creepily stand next to him. What's happening? She's going to tell you about the wine real quick, and then you're going to taste and, and talk about what you're... Because I told her that I'm like, yeah, it's white. It's red. And that's all I know. Hi, friend. Hello. Hello again. I didn't know that you were a psalm. Uh, she told me uh, that you met when you were bartending and that you have actually <clears throat> been 
studying some wine. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Long, long time ago in a land far, far away called New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, when we moved up here, um, I worked at the culinary for about a year. And within that time, the the quartermaster sommeliers came through and they were doing their level one uh, exam, you know, and I got I lucked out because they were like, hey, do you want to do this? Actually, they didn't ask me if I wanted to do it. I, I, I budged my way in because I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I can't pass up this opportunity, you know. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Have you enjoyed much Greek wine in your lifetime? I, You know, not a ton, but I, I think over the years, anytime we saw one, uh, you know, as, as like cliche or kitschy as it was, it was like, oh, let's try it, you know, see what's going on. Um, and like more and more that we go out, we see it, you know, on people's wine lists. Like it's very, you know, people's wine lists are becoming so expansive, you know, with the regions and whatnot now. Um, so it was kind of cute when she was, she, uh, the package came, she was, oh, and she sent me a Greek one. And I was like, oh man, you know, like that's pretty cool. That was, that, that was like not strategic at all about <laughs> like, I didn't know. I mean, I, I guess I could have looked at your last name and her last name, but I didn't even register. Like, that's not why I did it. It's to, it's just so the universe doing its thing. I had this grape on the brain. I'm, so Santorini is where the Assyrtico grape is originally from. So we've got this 2022 um, in the glass. The producer is Papa Giannikos. Is that how you would say that? Sure. <laughs> Papa Giannikos. Yeah. So um, I'd love to hear what you think. I am very new to this wine. It's not something I've had before. I'm taking my second sip here. Let's see what we think. Gotta give it some yeah, some it's very, I get a lot of citrusy on that note, on the nose for sure. Yeah. Like some lemon, uh, lemon pit or lemon skin, lemon pith, you know, mm-hmm. a little, a uh, little green apple, definitely green apple flesh on the palate. I just like took a, a big sip of it too. This is delicious. Like this is a. This is like a $24 (laughs) bottle. Really nice price point. Um, I shipped this to you guys on wine.com. When I look at the um, producer's notes for this wine, they talk about sea spray as a note, which is so interesting, just obviously being from that volcanic island region. And then the producer also calls out hints of white tea. Are you getting any tea either on the nose or? Maybe like a little bitter, like a little bitterness, like tea bitterness on the back end. But I, I always got to laugh yes. because like, for example, so if I were to say like, oh, I'm getting a lot of star fruit, right? Or like that's a very commonly used like thing. Like how many freaking people have had star fruit in their life? Like probably nobody. Most right? people have not. You so know? that is a bullshit so, reference. <laughs> <laughs> it means nothing to people. So it, it becomes this, um, you know, like what does it taste like to you kind of deal on it? That's a very specific note. Um, here's what I do know about this wine. The feeling of it in the mouth is very fresh. It's very bright. Yep. That nice acidity that we talk about. Um, uh, the term star, sharp and clean. For color too, as I'm yeah. looking at it right now. It is definitely clean. It's delicious. Very clean on the finish. But there is a lingering bitterness on the back end, which almost presents to me like tannin and normally we know white wine you know is the the grapes are crushed and the juice is pulled away from the skins right away to go into fermentation what i did read about this wine and how they make it in stainless steel they leave the skins in for a bit so there is some skin contact now um it didn't really darken the color but i think it adds that really nice finish where it almost is a very subtle bitterness and lingering but in a in a delicious way, which is unique for a white wine. Besides cheese, what else would you pair with this wine? <sighs> Food was, I mean, this would go really well with fish. Like it would cut, I think it would cut some of the fat of salmon, uh, but definitely like white fish, you know, crab, oysters, yeah. uh, shellfish, that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, this is- One of the things I'm excited about going to the Greek islands this summer, and I've had a taste of this a couple times when I've been in Italy, but I just envision myself like, sitting at a table by the seaside with a whole fish on my plate, yes, which I love. That'll happen. That literally, that fish was maybe swimming like two hours ago. 
And then they put some herbs and some olive oil, maybe stuck it in a wooden oven. And I just want to like sit by the ocean side and like pick apart this whole fish, maybe a Branzino or something Mediterranean. And I feel like this is the wine that would just sit in that pocket. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it's got that. It's it's got that crisp acidity that you kind of want where it's not going to overpower, you know, what you're eating. Um, And it's just going to kind of cleanse your palate for the next bite. Um, I'm sorry. I'm like pouring right by the microphone. This is really good. No, that's what we do here. Do it again. <laughs> like we do it on purpose. We do it on, on purpose. Look, we go like this. There we go. Very nice. This is delicious. It's audio this porn. Might have to be a little ASMR there. Oh my gosh! What a what a fun unexpected treat to have you weigh in on our spotlight. We call bonus. it on our wine today. I'm like an onion. Thank you. A what a. Not only were you her sound engineer getting her set up with the mic and headphones today, but you're just like a roaming song I that's try, just yeah. like dropping some wisdom on us. I'm a hack at best. Thank I'm you. A- <laughs> nah, you know your stuff. Cheers, Anthony. It's so Cheers. nice to finally meet Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It's nice to, and, you know, somebody who's been so, especially a family who's been so important in her life too. And what's funny is so like I'm, you know, aside from being Greek, I'm also Sicilian. And um, uh-huh. when she saw like my mom's side of the family... <laughs> She would always be like, it kind of reminds me of Amanda's family. You know, like, I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, you guys are talking and it's very loud. And it's like, there's a lot of people. And it sounds like you're arguing, but you're not. Everyone's just having a it's conversation. It's joy at a very yeah. loud volume. <laughs> so it's loud she, and joy. I thank you for, uh, when our family for breaking her in uh, early on so that this way it wasn't such a culture shock uh, when she met my family. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, funny. Oh, well, cheers, friends. Cheers. Thank you so much. Missy, you want to come? Yeah. You finish wanna... your interview here that I just hijacked? No, it's good. I offered it up. <laughs> I said you know so much more than I do because I'm uh, like, you know me. It's good fun. It's delicious. Oh, my God. I love him even more yeah. now than I already did. He's a wine guy. And for the, for no one can uh, picture what he may look like, full on salt and pepper beard, long salt and pepper black hair. It's really nice. Oh. Very huggable. So do you like this wine? I love it. It's delicious. And I feel like it would go with a lot of things as well. But it is, it's exactly what I asked for. Light, crisp. It finishes very quickly. Like it doesn't coat your mouth and hang on there too long. So I think it would go well with food, light food. But it would go well with food because it won't overpower. It would go with, you know. She she did, you guys, she did this motion with her hands that I do when I'm explaining food and wine pairing, where I take my two hands and I touch my fingers and I make them meet in the middle like equals. She did that. She's that equal. Yes, that's what we want is we want them to meet in the middle and be yes. equals and elevate each other. So we have um, just two, two last things left. Um, sure. I want to go back to... Something that you said early on when you were talking about, you know, finding your way and deciding to go into culinary in a conversation where your parents said, and I'm paraphrasing, but you said your parents said something like, are you sure this is what you want to do? It's a lot of hard work and it's hard for a woman to make it in this business. Mm -hmm. So prior to our conversation today, I was doing a little Googling and research, just like what percentage of chefs worldwide and are are female, and then what percentage of pastry chefs are female? And again, I, I'm not going to throw out specific numbers because I haven't really, really fact-checked this, but what I found in all the different sources I looked at is still when you just say chef, the percentage of chefs worldwide is still very male-driven, mm-hmm. but of the people that are chefs, more women are pastry chefs than men, Yes, at least according to the interweb. Mm-hmm. So as someone <laughs> in this um, anecdotally, do you feel like that's accurate? And then talk to me just a little bit about when your parents said that, and then how did it how did it work being a woman in the culinary world? Um, I feel like in industry, it's definitely changed since I started to where we are now. All but one of the pastry chefs that I have worked under, all male. Um, and I, I see that evolving and I see that especially what's so funny is like, so I take the school as like a little bit of a pool because all of these kids are going out into the field. So it's like a really nice way to look at it. Most of the culinary sample. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Nice experiments. Um, most of the culinary used to be men. Most of the pastry used to be women. And it's definitely so intermeshed at this point. And what makes me happy is that on our campus, there are now more females on our campus in general enrolled as students than there are 
males, which I think is awesome because they're not all in the pastry program. So that's very cool to see that there's going to be more at the forefront coming through within the next 10, 15 years. You know, there's going to be some headliners, you know, which is great. But yes, I've had mostly male pastry chefs. Um, I feel that it's switching um, just because more people are getting involved. I think there's way more exposure to our industry, which I think is great. Do I feel that females... um, I think for the past few years, top pastry chefs in the world have been females, which is great. A few years ago was the first one. I think it's our natural personality. And I think men look at things differently than women. And men are like, right here, right now, let's do this. And that's essentially, again, your food's there. You cook it. I'm not diminishing what happens. Trust me. Chicken is the there. Chicken's the there. Cow is you there. season it. It's a pant. No, I'm just, just so you're gonna get backlash on behalf of me for this. But uh, I know, right? No, no. I don't mean that. Much respect. Trust me. Like being a saucier, just that alone is it's a, it's difficult, you know. But um, women have this different sense of organization and steps to get somewhere, and um, don't mind the measuring of the little things and all the intricacies that going into pastry entails and i think there are far more women oh sorry kept my table far more women who do this and are great at it versus the ones you actually hear about and that's the difference there too you know i think i think Mm. men just naturally kind of get the attention for being in the field which is funny because what's the age-old stereotype is women belong in the kitchen but not unless it's a profession i guess i don't know which cracks me up so no, we belong. It we is. belong I was everywhere. About that today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. The irony of that. Mm-hmm. And and I love to hear where you say that it's changing because I feel like it really mirrors the wine world and winemaking mm-hmm. when we talk about the percentage of women that are either owner or winemaker or both, and how it's still low, but how it really has increased in the last you know ten to twenty years. So I feel like there's probably some parallels there. But when you think back to when your parents asked you, you know, and you were probably not even 20 years old, like, are you sure you want to do this? It's going to be hard for a woman. Was it hard? And was it hard because you were a woman or was it just hard because it was hard? Uh, A little bit of both. And it's so funny because that point never really entered my mind. It's just like, I want to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Like, I'm, I'm a competitive person in things that I know that I can compete in, but I'm really competitive against myself. You know, it's like, I just, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the best that I can be. And then if you're going to tell me I can't, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work at it even harder to get to where I want to be, you know? So if anything, it was motivational. why I love you. why I admire you from afar. (laughs) Tell me no 15 times. I'm just going to be better at whatever I'm doing. But it's hard work in general. Um, I do feel, again, changing. But when I started, there is definitely uh, like a hierarchy and men just were you know, the thing and and we're there and we're working. But it's that same thing. You work twice as hard to get the same kind of recognition and and notice and things like that. Um, I will to say there was no harassment is a lie. Like, of course, there's sexual harassment. I could tell tales of that. But, you know, um, so that you have to overcome and it's hard. And, you know, you read even now, like uh, the Me Too stories and why would you take it? Why would you say and blah, 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 blah. And it's not so easy. It's not so cut and dry. Like, oh, I was wronged. I'm leaving. I'm moving. I'm not doing this. It's like you almost want to prove that like you can put your foot down and you can make a difference in your little world of I'm not going to take this, but I am going to stay and I'm just going to make your life really annoying. (laughs) I'm like a little gnat. I'm going to be here every day. I don't care, you know, and I um you know, I stood up for myself the way I needed to stand up for myself. And um, whether that was verbally every once in a while physically, and um, you know, it is what it is. I've never worked in a place where I didn't feel safe. Let me lay that out first. Um, I think the people that were my mentors looked out for me 100%. And um, I just, I, I just worked my ass off. And I think in the end, that's what matters. I was the first one there, last one to go home. I always worked. And I was the one that was asked to go do events with my chef and to be there. They trusted me. They know I worked. And that's all that mattered is the work that I put into it. And, you know, of course there's things that can happen, but it can be in any job. It could be, in any, it could be walking down the yep. street. You're going to, you're going to find this. You have to figure out how to handle it for yourself and what makes you comfortable to show up every day. And I, and I figured that out. We do a lot at school too, right. to, um, really enforce you know standing on your own two feet and standing up for yourself and we need to change the industry like we're at a really great point where things are shifting and i think covid oddly enough played a role in that 
And there's a lot of attention being paid to, you know, health insurance, mental health, uh, being a woman in a kitchen. And we hold panels all the time of faculty that work there that talk to the students, Q&As. We bring in um, female chefs from all over the place to come in and, and, and talk to our student body about what they've dealt with, how things have changed, how they would love to see things move forward. And it's very empowering. Uh, if something everybody needs to watch their behavior and that, and that's the bottom line. You can't do what you used to do and get away with it and feel like we just need to tough it out. You know, it's, it's not that anymore. Mm-hmm. You can talk about it. You're going to find somebody else who can relate to it and it, w- you can hash it out and really, really bring it to the surface. And I think that's the most important thing. We're going to finish up with some listener questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So listener questions. While I pull out my listener questions, you may want to take a take a sip. Yes. Someone named Amanda mm-hmm. would like to know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you were not doing what you do, what would you be doing? I think about this all the time. Um, definitely something creative, um, whether it be makeup artist or in fashion or something a photographer movies but behind the scenes with movies whether that's wardrobe or something along those lines the same listener wants to know um did you watch the bear oh my god i can't even tell you how much i love this show <laughs> it's so fun i ended up getting COVID. the one that just won like swept like every emmy out there oh my the god bear? and uh, yeah. so deserved first of all and again my memory is awful it's like a piece of information goes in one falls out but the guy the bear how could you not yeah. just want to watch this guy be a chef, Jeremy? right? Oh, my God. Jeremy? Calvin yeah. Klein? Yeah, thank you for that spread. Um, but the show is probably the closest thing I've seen to a real-life kitchen and the pressures of it and just hands and knees scrubbing floor. People don't know that side. They see the the Thomas Kellers and the, you know, Danielle and Jean-Georges and this, this pristine you know, greeting the table and making this beautiful meal, and da-da, which I think is almost a beautiful thing because it's so quiet and calm and precise in the dining room. And you open that kitchen door and it's like, where's my fucking Sharpie? Get off my line. And it was like one of the best scenes ever because you're like, yes, yes. It's sometimes just yeah. shut up. Accurate. Let's go. You know, and everybody mm-hmm. from top to bottom is scrubbing the kitchen down and organizing and learning. And there's always ego involved and everybody's got a great idea, but can it be implemented immediately? No. And it's like, how do you tell somebody this isn't probably the best thing you tasted? You have to enhance it without offending. It's such a, a nuanced thing to be in a kitchen, you know, and it, just seeing that and how um, the, the guy who was doing pastries just got so into fermentation. And like, I think he had the Noma cookbook and I'm like, oh my God, this is brilliant. And he's just like working on a perfect donut. Yes. Long story short, I love the bear. I had COVID. I was Me home. Too. I was the only one home and I'm like, I'm binging the hell out of this thing. I watched the whole first yes! season. It was so good. It's like giving me goosebumps even thinking about it, but just, I mean, even the, the, what I loved about it too, it shows the changes that are going on where everyone is calling each other chef and there is a hierarchy in the kitchen. There has to be. There has to be with anything. Someone has to be at the helm of this thing and lead it. But mutual respect and that kind of thing is changing. And I love that, you know. But just the pressures of it. And when they they screw up, like, the online ordering or something, and all you hear is that ticket machine, the amount of times that I've, like, woken up with the sound of the ticket machine, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not at work. Like, it, it's just like, yes, I know that feeling. And they're just lining up. And I nailed yes, it. Yeah, it's they so good. It. So good. Yes. Okay. Here's the final listener question. <laughs> Very complex, intricate question. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite dessert? I, <laughs> I knew it. Everybody always asks, right? Um, oh, you know, I have to say, when it comes to things, I'm such a basic bitch. Like with the things that I love, there's certain things I'll look at a menu and I'm like, that's what I'm getting. Nine times out of ten, it's a cheesecake. I love, love, love cheesecake. Uh, souffle. I will get any day of the week. And a freaking and lava cake, man. I just love, and I hate it that I love them, but I love them. They're just so good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very basic. Crepes. I have to be careful at home, though, because when I start, and I love, love, love this, my daughter is just like, it's like she has a, a radar. She's like, is that sugar that I hear happening in the case? And she'll come right down. So I usually try to do things that are like a little bit more low key. What I love doing at home, I was really cooking more. It's nice. I turn, no one, no one messes with dinner. My husband's usually still at work. My parents are chilling out. So I kind of have the the kitchen to myself. I turn on a little music. The chicken's already there. Chicken's the, already the there. The cow's already there. Ready to go. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I really like, 
uh, I would say five out of the seven days of a week, I'm the one in the kitchen doing dinner and I love it. And like sauces are my thing, you know, because everybody, mm. you know, it's it's a mixed bunch here. Like what you like, what you don't like. Everybody loves chicken. Everybody loves basic proteins. Because you got a house full of multi-generational that you're cooking I do. for now. Yes. Yeah. When when you say that your daughter like hears like, oh, sugar, and she comes mm. down because she wants to eat it or does she want to cook or bake she with you? She wants to be in it. And I love it. She's a misfit. And like I say that all the time, like kitchen people, we're just misfits. It's like we want to do everything that no one else is like wanting to do. You know, it's like pick a holiday. We're going to be working, but we're fine with it. You know, it's it's crazy. But yeah, she she gets her little she comes running down, grabs her step stool immediately, puts it right next to me, kind of elbows me a little bit out of her way. And she's like, what are we doing? And even with dinner, she'll make her own little sauces or she'll want to make a side dish or do whatever. So no, she's right in it with me. I love it. And she decorates and she makes sauces for dinner and things like that. I'm like, go ahead, pull out of the cabinet and we taste everything. It's the only way you learn. You know, so she'll taste something and she's dead on and it kills me. She's like, this is a little too spicy or this is there's a little too much oil in this. I'm like, you son of a, my son is the same way. And it drives me crazy because I'll serve dinner. And he goes, it's got to use a little more salt. And I'm like, oh, my God, like I want to kill you. But at the same time, you're not wrong. So, you know, it's frustrating. You're proud. I mean, maybe you're proud. I'm very yeah, proud of that them. they know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end on. This nope. was such a special treat. Thank this has been lovely. Here thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. Thank you. Yay. Cheers <laughs> with our Papa Giannikos Assyrtico. And I love Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Dear sister. Cheers. <laughs> so my suspicion that Chef Melissa was going to be a great podcast guest was indeed confirmed, wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, not only her amazing story and her inspirational determination to just keep going and push through, um, but also just a wonderful, joyful, big personality with a lot in common of many of us of loving food and loving wine. It's just she has made a beautiful career out of creating it and now teaching others how to carry on that legacy, including her daughter. I love that story. So thank you so much to Chef Melissa. I know that you are a busy, busy gal, and this was really special. I hope to have you back because I had a million more questions that we didn't even get to. Please make sure that you are liking, following, rating, and reviewing this podcast if you're enjoying it. Sounds like a um, a song. Like, follow, rate, and review. Like, follow, rate, and review. Uh, It's nice to get some feedback, and more importantly, those ratings help us to be seen and help more people to listen, and that will allow Catherine and I to continue creating the super fun content for you and and doing what we do. If you'd like to support the podcast, buy me a glass of wine, you can do that. Uh, The link in the show notes, it's basically like leaving a tip, and uh, we would be so grateful. Uh, That's a, a fun feedback that you can provide for us. And then finally, follow Chef Melissa on Instagram. She is at Chef Walnock, Chef Walnock, W-A-L-N-O-C-K for some gorgeous pastry porn. And uh, her website I'll put in the um, show notes as well, which is uh, Crumb Confections. I hope that you get to maybe sign up for a cooking class with her at the bed and breakfast. I will, again, put the link in the show notes. And if you want to grab this beautiful Greek Assyrtiko that we tasted together, uh, you'll find a link for wine.com, one of my affiliate partners. You can have it shipped right to your door, just like I shipped it to Melissa and Anthony. How fun was that, by the way, to get a cameo from him? Totally unexpected. Hey, appreciate you listening. Hope you had fun. Hope you're feeling inspired and sip well. Sip with Nikki is hosted by Nikki Lamberti. Production and sound mixing by Catherine Bryan. You can always send your listener questions to Nikki at sipwithnikki.com or find us on the Sip with Nikki Facebook page. Or visit us on Instagram at Nikki Lamberti. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to sip with you. This is Sip with Nikki, a production of Take 10 Studios.